This is the Finding Strong Podcast. Push your limits, win the day, find your strong. Here's another episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Gates, sitting here with Mark Bottenhorn. Hey everybody, what's going on? Today we got a special guest, host of the Flytrap Coalition Podcast, Brian Akers. What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Yeah, dude, was so excited just to get you on here and uh, kind of continue our discussions. We kind of have an ongoing discussion, uh, effectively, and just wanted to kind of get you on, introduce you to everybody, and and just hear more about your about your background, and maybe dive into a little bit of what's going on in the uh, in the world today with the pandemic, um, nutrition, and, and and potentially why this might keep happening, and maybe some alternate viewpoints. So, um, first, why don't you why don't you give us your your background and and all the things you do. Yeah, happy to. I appreciate it. Like as you guys mentioned, I've got the the Flytrap Coalition podcast, which I think runs along similar lines with what you guys are doing at the Finding Strong podcast. And I'm a big fan of your show. And uh, it's it's about endurance sports. It's about athletic performance, nutrition, but trying to give the show a little bit more depth and go into people's stories, go into some topics that aren't just related to performance and running. And I think, you know, health and nutrition and the state of the planet definitely, definitely lines up there. Um, you know, me, myself, I I am a runner. I had my first 50 K that I was supposed to be running today actually, but, uh, got canceled obviously due to, due to COVID, but, uh, yeah, grew up playing basketball, um, got into running just here recently as kind of a way to reignite the competitive competitive side. I, uh, I ran an animal rights organization for, for a couple of years and uh, super passionate about that. Went plant-based about six years ago. And uh, yeah, man, just, just a fan of life, a fan of, of learning and uh, curious and just uh, big into big ideas and, and what we can all be doing to, to make this place uh, a little bit better for all of us to live. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm really excited to hear about that. So so first, why don't we we talk a little bit more about the uh, animal rights organization that you were uh, that you were running? Yeah, absolutely. So I went I went plant based uh, about six years ago, and initially got into it for health reasons. I had uh, you know I was 32 years old and was dealing with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, chronic heartburn, and just kind of that typical guy that. Uh, was eating wings and cheeseburgers and pizzas. You know, I would make like a $50 Emos pizza order on a Sunday. Um, you know, I had just quit. I had stopped drinking. I was a, a big time uh, alcohol abuser through my 20s and early 30s. And so I quit drinking and then just started getting more curious about life. You know, when you stop drinking, the haze kind of lifts a little bit and uh, realized how unhealthy I was and came across a documentary called Forks Over Knives. I don't know if you guys have, have ever seen that. Um, Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's it was really eye opening for me because if you would have told me that I was going to end up being a vegan and an animal rights activist, I would have laughed. I mean, that was the furthest thing from that, and uh, just got went down that rabbit hole of these documentaries, mostly about health and how a plant based diet can improve your health. And uh, 
gave it a shot and went on a whole food plant-based diet six days a week. And then on the seventh day, I would just eat whatever I wanted. I was not ready to, to give up the pizza and the burgers and all that stuff. So I knew I could make it six days knowing that that seventh day was just going to be, you know, like a super bowl of, uh, wings and, you know, roast beef and cheese sandwiches and anything you can imagine. And what I started realizing when I was doing that, I would look forward to that Sunday where I was going to eat whatever, but on that Sunday and especially on that Monday, I just started feeling terrible and it would take until Wednesday on the whole food plant-based diet to start feeling good again. And so eventually I was starting to phase out a little bit of the meat and cheese, but it was really when I came across a documentary on YouTube called earthlings that uh, I started making the ethical connection. And for anybody that wants to watch earthlings, it's free on YouTube. And there's another good one, a more modern version called dominion. And I just started watching hours and hours of this factory farm footage and uh, as somebody that was never really an animal lover, I was still compelled by it. To I was just shocked by by what happens, you know. And you, you realize that there are animals behind the scenes of every burger and pizza that we eat, and you know you see these animals going into these uh, these little racks, uh, terrified and getting shot in the head with a bolt gun, and you know getting their throats slit. And you're seeing chickens be ground up alive in these uh, macerators for being born male. And we can kind of go into some of that stuff. I don't want to put everybody off, but the the point is I made this ethical connection with, with eating animals and, and veganism and uh, we wanted to do something about it. So I, we started this organization in St. Louis called Anonymous for the Voiceless. And it's an international organization run out of Australia, but we ran a local chapter. And what we would do is we would go to these highly trafficked areas and we would stand in like a, a cube, basically. And we would wear all black and wear those Guy Fox masks from uh, V for Vendetta. And just to really create this aesthetic so people would be like, what are these guys doing? And the people in, this, in the cube wouldn't say anything, but we had these big flat screen TVs that would show this footage, this factory farming footage. And we wanted to make sure we weren't shouting at people because I used to eat meat, cheese, milk, and eggs. I know the majority of my audience still does. The majority of people listening probably still do. So it wasn't, we didn't want to come at people because everybody is just on their own path, you know. But what would happen is people would come up and start watching this footage. And our thing was if they started watching it for more than 30 seconds, then one of us would come up and just talk to them and just say, hey, have you ever seen this before? Did you know that this goes on? And this wasn't like the one-off case where some asshole farmer was, you know, beating his animals. We were showing standard practice legal footage, right? Like stuff that's approved that if a, uh, an inspector came into a slaughterhouse, they would approve everything that was happening. But what we noticed was people were just absolutely shocked and appalled by that. And we would talk to them and ask them if they would consider going vegan and field some of the typical questions, you know, like about protein and B12 and all that. And then we would leave them with a card where they had some documentaries and some links if they wanted to further explore the, uh, the vegan diet. And we did that for about two years and, uh, it was, it was really impactful. It was really, it was really, uh, a great experience. Wow. That's crazy. So Brian, you, you initially, uh, decided to give a plant-based diet a try or transition to a plant-based diet. Uh, was that, what was the, re were those health reasons then? Or Init initially it was, you know, initially it was for health reasons. Um, just being in my early thirties and really feeling unhealthy. You know, my dad had a heart attack when he was 52 and luckily survived it. But, uh, you know, I was on that same path. I was really overweight. Um, you know, my skin was always kind of like flush and, uh, just was really out of shape and really unhappy with where I was at. So I, I knew something needed to happen. And watching that documentary forks over knives, they had this guy, Rip Esselstyn in there and he's a, uh, pro triathlon pro triathlete rather. 
firefighter, just like it was really the first time I connected that plant-based athletes existed and that you could be a badass on a vegan diet. You know, I think I kind of bought into all the the protein myth and that you need to eat animals and you need to drink milk for strong bones and watching this guy, Rip Esselstyn, just absolutely crushing it. I think he was in his fifties at the time of the documentary and he's just doing all these unbelievable things athletically and then got turned on to rich roll and, and some other plant-based athletes. But back then it wasn't as prevalent. I mean, now you have entire football teams going vegan for performance, but back then it wasn't really like that. But uh, as soon as I went over to the whole food plant-based diet, and I've seen this with everybody that I've ever known that's transitioned, you just, all, you start feeling like a superhero. And uh, that was really just immediate where I started feeling better within a couple of days. And, uh, you know, if it was just for health, I probably would still mix in some animal products because I really enjoyed eating steak and I enjoyed eating wings and, and pizza and it's easy and it's convenient. But when I went over to the ethical side of it was when I really kind of started and it took about nine months to transition all the way off. But once you make that ethical connection with these animals, that's when you can it really becomes difficult to justify continuing to eat animals. And I kind of went kicking and screaming because I didn't want to give that stuff up. But uh, once you make that connection, I mean, just another quick story. We went to, as when I was part of this animal rights organization, we went to Chicago to what they call the most bearing witness to these, these pigs. Um, and what we did was we actually went to a slaughterhouse at about four o'clock in the morning in, in this outskirt of Chicago in this really rundown neighborhood. And, there's this big brick building with no windows and sitting outside of it is the, like the back of an 18 wheeler. And, uh, it was probably 10 degrees raining and we go up to this truck and there's just, I mean, hundreds of pigs in there and above them were these goats. And I had no, I have no idea how long they had been driving. Uh, they, I have no idea how long they'd been sitting in this parking lot, but the idea was we gave them water. We probably brought like 400 water bottles and we were giving them water. Some of them were too scared to come up to us. But we couldn't save them. You know, we, we weren't going to break them out and, and, uh, and go to jail and let all these pigs loose, you know, in Chicago. But the idea was just to let them know that we saw them. You know, these are, these are animals that were born in a factory that lived in horrible conditions. They had marks all over them. They had holes in their ears. They were literally standing in their own shit. And uh, they probably hadn't been shown an ounce of kindness by a human in their entire lives. So the idea was just to let them know that they did exist and that we did see them and they were here, even though it was for a short period of time that, that we recognized that. And if you, if you have an experience like that, it really makes it difficult to go back to eating animals. I don't know if there's a person on the planet that would, that would come into contact with one of these animals, like a good, a good way to break it down for people would be like, if you came over to my house for dinner and I said, Hey, we've got a couple options. We can either eat pasta or I've got this pig in the backyard. You can come meet it and we'll play with it for a little while. And then we'll kill that pig and we'll, we'll eat that instead. Like, what do you want to do? I would think every single person would say, well, let's just eat the pasta. <laughs> you know, like, well, why would we? That's crazy. Let's just have the pasta and hang out with this pig. And that's really what veganism is. It's just you replicate that same decision over a long period of time. Yeah, 100%. That stuff is... It's challenging to to confront. It's inconvenient to to confront. Uh, you know, obviously, I I consumed meat um, in large quantities before, and uh, I would it would be very inconvenient for me to to face the the fact that animals were treated the way they were, and eventually, it just became too much. Um, and Pat and I have talked about this numerous times, but 
but I can definitely understand um, it's, it's something culturally that that's pretty normal here and we're, and we're raised with here, you know? Um, so it's, it's not easy and it's, it's incredible that you had that eye opening experience, I think, um, and that you're able to share it with us. Yeah. No, so, yeah, sorry. Um, so, so I guess what I want to say is, you know, we're in the midst of this, that the elephant in the room, so to speak, is this uh, COVID pandemic right now that we're facing and you, um, just said you had your race canceled. It was supposed to be today. Um, I'm not sure what the date is. Oh yeah. I was supposed to run hundred K, uh, national championships today, uh, potentially for a spot on the U S team. It's today. Um, Pat, you were supposed to be there with me. You took the time off work to go. Uh, yeah, 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 so yeah. we've all, we've all been, everybody in this country, aside from racing, you know, people are, people are dying. Unfortunately, they're paying with their lives and, and, and everybody has been touched by this in some way or another. And it's, no, and so to my frustration is I see a lot of people now uh, trying to take preventative action, maybe wearing gloves, albeit improperly, and uh, face masks that aren't really actually effective. Um, but, I, you know, I see people, they're concerned for their health. And a little bit of my frustration, I suppose, is it, it's, it's odd to me now that, that people are concerned. But I guess when you're faced with something like this, it's, it's scary. I mean, this is not the first pandemic to happen in our lifetime. It's, it won't be the last. Uh, this is not you know, this is, this is nothing that, that should be all too foreign to us. And I think the earth is telling us like it's getting worse clearly. Um, while some of the more recent pandemics have been more deadly, it hasn't spread as, as easily as this one does. And um, so while the mortality rate was higher, more people are dying as, as a result. And at some point we're going to run into a real problem. Um, it's no mystery where this, where this virus started really. Right. I mean, I remember seeing some something statistically a couple of days ago that there are roughly 23 billion chickens or so being factory farmed. Um, and, you know, if, if we didn't eat chicken, just, just as an example, there would be 23 billion theoretically less intermediate hosts for this, these viruses and pandemics to pass to human, you know, uh, to humans from, from whatever the, the, the case is. So like, just as a quick, quick example, um, the swine flu outbreak that was that was not too long ago. I mean, that started in pigs, um, and was carried into humans. Uh, so these zoonautical transmissions are happening. Uh, MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, right? That was 2012, I believe. That was started from bats being infected, uh, and then infecting camels that were farmed by humans. Um, you know, SARS, which is the first uh, kind of coronavirus pandemic that was capable of killing people. Um, SARS was caused by civets, more than likely. Um, and they're identifying new coronaviruses in bats every single day that, that could potentially make the leap over to humans and potentially be deadly, as this one is. Um, the 1918 pandemic that everybody's comparing this to was, was caused from bird transmission to humans. So you can see from a health perspective, if just outside of the animal rights and any of that, like this is causing major, wreaking major havoc on our, uh, on our world. And there, there needs to be some type of change. I mean, not in, I guess on an individual level, but on any level, because we can't continue to sustain this realistically. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head and everybody is the, the easy, everybody, we always want to take, take the blame off of ourselves. Right. So it's very easy. And what you're seeing now, China and saying, well, we shouldn't be eating bats. You know, that's, that's, that's crazy. But these 
factory farm setups, like you said, with you know twenty plus billion chickens. Um, I think the statistic is we kill seventy two billion land animals every year. So, you know, if you think about the scale of that, that's two hundred million land animals per day. So, another way to think about that is you if if you killed the entire human population. You would, you would need to do that nine times in a single year. You'd have to kill every human about once every five and a half weeks for the entire year to get the number of animal deaths that we have. So if you think about how you would go about doing that, there's no other way to do it than to have these factory farm animal concentration camps, which is essentially, essentially what they are. If you took all the animals out of these factory farms and replaced them with humans, you would have recreated the Holocaust. On a, on a much exponentially bigger scale. So the only way you can kill this many animals is by doing it the way that they're doing it. And they end up, it, they're just, there's no way you could possibly regulate it. Take away the ethical consideration of whether or not it's right. There's just no way you could possibly regulate this thing for safety. And the way that they've been doing it is just pump these animals full of antibiotics. So the last thing that you would want is a situation like this where you have a disease outbreak, right? So they're going to err on the side of let's over-medicate these animals. Let's, let's make sure that there's not one single virus that could possibly live inside of these animals. But nature doesn't work that way. It, it finds a way around everything. On a long enough timeline, Mother Nature wins every single time. And what you're seeing... It's like... It's like uh... Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park in nature uh, finds a way. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's like, it, that's exactly what it is. I kind of feel like that, like crazy guy, right. You know, everybody thinks it's conspiracy, but that like wacky scientist, Jeff Goldblum character is usually right. And what we're going to end up seeing if we continue down this path is we're going to see a virus that is totally antibiotic resistant. The, you know, the intelligence in nature is, is far more intelligent than we have. I mean, if you think about, we're going we're gonna to have our best scientists grinding for the next eight months to a year and a half to try to find a vaccine for COVID. All of our best people working around the clock with as much funding as they want to try to find a vaccine. Meanwhile, inside our own bodies, we're creating antibodies within a couple of weeks that can successfully fight off the virus if it comes back around to that same person. We, we're nowhere close to the intelligence of nature. So if we feel like we can continue to outpace nature and out tech nature, we're going to continue to see more of this stuff. I mean, we're already seeing super storms. We're seeing hurricanes where you get hurricanes like five times a year now that are doing massive damage. Australia is still on fire. We're seeing a pandemic. All this stuff is happening and it's nature's way of telling us if you guys continue to mess around, we're going to sweep you off the planet. And, you know, nature is pretty graceful that, that, that we haven't been wiped out yet. But if we continue down the path, there's just no question in my mind that there's going to be a big one that's going to be instead of, you know, 0.5% death ratio or whatever, you know, the and numbers end up being here. Once the testing gets up to speed, we're going to see one that's 20%, 25%. And, uh, you know, if we don't make some big changes, I think it's, we're going to be in for that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the easy thing is, is when we're, when we're, you know, it's, like you said, this in this situation, they're they're kind of voiceless. And if you look at these chronic illnesses, heart disease, cancer, things like that, um, they're not they're not immediate. So they're not immediate threat, and people aren't worried about their behavior that may lead to it. Where the the impending threat of a, a virus um, is a little bit scarier. So, like obviously, we like to uh, 
we like to have an enemy with a with a name and a face and like whether it's you know terrorism or uh, whatever it could be in this case it's the, it's the virus and it's the wet markets in china so people are screaming you know why don't you shut down these wet markets um and you know there are studies dating back to 2007 in peer-reviewed journals that describe this exact scenario for a coronavirus pandemic um and they talk about basically how these wet markets are a ticking time bomb um and the the issue uh, for me with that is, I mean, obviously, scientists have seen it coming for a long time. But the issue uh, for me, at least, is it, these wet markets aren't really different than factory farms here in the U.S. Um, so I think there's this this misnomer that because they're a bunch of weird animals that we wouldn't probably eat here in the U.S. Um, or we don't traditionally eat. It doesn't it doesn't make a difference. The, the same thing is happening right here on American soil in the American heartland. Um, and now, you know, China said they were going to crack down on these wet markets. Uh, but now, as of probably April 1st, the wet markets have reopened. Uh, so the crackdown didn't last that long. It just seems like we're not learning from the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the scariest part is that not to be all doom and gloom, but we forget very quickly. You know, we... Uh, <laughs> It doesn't seem like we're going to learn the lesson. And I think you make a good point that, yes, this this virus came from a bat in China, most likely. But the animals that we're eating right here, the pigs and chickens and cows that we're eating right now are causing massive damage to our bodies every single day for people that are eating those diets. I mean, you're consuming an animal that was terrified from the minute that it was born to the minute that it was killed. And if you go back and if you look at the footage, if you actually confront what's actually happening and you you see the state of the animal when it's killed, you're getting a massive surge of adrenaline. You're getting a massive surge of cortisol. They are in a complete fight or flight state when they're killed. And the, and all those hormones are surging through their body. And then they're, they're chopped up in a factory, vacuum packed, shipped off to a store, sitting on a, in a refrigerated area, coming home and being cooked and eaten, you're putting all of that into your body. And yeah, it might not, it might not give you a COVID-19, but it's going to give you heart disease. It's going to give you cancer. You know, we pay a, we pay a toll. There's it's cause and effect. And if we don't address what's actually going, if we don't address the, the, the health of the entire earth um, and the animals that we share it with, we're going to continue to see this stuff. And I don't know what it's going to take. I, I really don't know what it's going to take because I really feel like everything's going to go back to normal when this thing ends. You know, I feel like in, in June or whenever we kind of get rolling again and this thing passes, uh, I really think that it's going to go back to normal. And I'm, I'm not sure what the best way to go about trying to get this information out, but I, I don't, I think, you know, we're up against a, a billion dollar meat lobby. We're up against a billion dollar dairy lobby. We're up against just the culture of uh, Western society that we want to have pizza and wings. And uh, I don't know, man, I'm at, I'm at a loss as to kind of <laughs> where, to, what to do to get people to, to kind of make this connection. Yeah. And I mean, we're in a situation we're never going to, um, the likelihood is we're never going to be able to convince people um, or all people or anything like that. But I, I do think that a lot of people can benefit just from making uh, just some reductions in their diet. I think that it will go a long way for the planet. It will go a long way for their health. Even um, I, I have no doubt that an omnivore can eat, can eat a healthy diet. 
um, or, or, or healthy uh, lifestyle, live a healthy lifestyle. I have, I have no doubt about that. But when you look at meat consumption, um, you know, hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago, uh, humans were largely eating um, the whole animal uh, for one. So from a nutritional standpoint, uh, typically like the organs, you know, storage organs, liver, stuff like that tend to be far more nutritious than the uh, flesh, the muscle. Um, and everybody's just eating the, the muscle now. And um, so it's, it's kind of a strange point because they're taking the, the least nutritious part of the animal itself. And, and that's the only thing that they consume. It's, it's, it's one pretty wasteful, but uh, two, it's not optimal for health. So I do think there are ways that you can be, um, you can be healthy, but I, I think that reduction goes, goes a long way. If you want to have a serious um, thought about maybe how you can live a little bit more gently, I think so many people are on a, on a quest to see how they can live like really gentle and, um, and cause less harm, uh, whether it be to the environment, whether it be to the, to their animal friends. And I, I, let's face it. I don't think anybody, uh, likes, likes, uh, factory farms, uh, really. Like, I don't think anybody's an advocate for them truly, unless, uh, you're on the team of the factory farms and they're paying you a buttload of money to lobby for them. Um, so really deep down, I don't think anybody's a big fan of it. So, I mean, any way that people can, can, can follow a little bit of a reductionist life, I think would be, uh, beneficial to them. And I think that they, they draw a lot from it. So if someone's interested in potentially reducing the amount of meat that they eat, what would you do uh, to make that change? Brian, I think you're a little bit more relatable. You have a lot more experience in this field than both I and Pat. And if I just say, I don't want to do something like, I just don't do it. Um, I, you know, that's just the way it is for me. So sometimes I have a disconnect with people. Um, so what would you think of somebody who's struggling, who's actually thinking about it and considering it, or maybe heard what you had to say and is considering what would yeah, you, what no, would that's you say? A great, that's a great question. And I think, so the best thing that people can do is really to get as much information as possible on the lifestyle, because there's so much misinformation out there. There's, there's a big group of people, like you said, that probably say, you know what? Yeah, I don't like factory farms. I don't like the thought of these animals dying. I hear people all the time say, I can't even watch that stuff. I'll encourage them to watch a behind the scenes footage and they'll go, no, 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 I can't watch that. And that's because we are, we are compassionate in nature as humans. This is the way that we're designed. We are not designed. You'll never see a little kid, see a bunny rabbit and all of a sudden start salivating and dial his eyes in and go sprinting after it and jump on it and start tearing into it. Right. You've never seen that. If you saw that you would, you would be very concerned, right? Like that would be highly concerning. If you saw your kid running around the yard, tackling squirrels and biting into them, that's not the way that we're designed. We're not designed to be savages, right? Like, so most people don't want that. Most people don't want to hurt animals, but here's what they think. Well, I have to, to get enough protein because the guy at the gym said I need to have protein and Joe Rogan's eating elk steak. And he seems like a pretty fit guy. And it's this culture and I get it. Like I'm, I get that culture. Like as a, as a plant-based guy, you kind of sometimes get set aside from that culture. You don't really get to participate. Like your status goes down a little bit. And I get that people have friends and family and they don't want to go to that. They don't want to go to Thanksgiving and say, no, thanks. I'm going plant-based because you're going to get a bunch of shit. Right. So what you have to do is really arm yourself with the information, because when you tell somebody you're vegan, all of a sudden they're going to start telling you about nutrition. Right. They're going to say you're not getting enough protein. And you say, well, how much am I supposed to get? Oh, I don't know. But it's like, well, do you do you know anybody ever? Have you ever met a single person that was struggling with a protein deficiency? 
unless they had, you know, or had an eating disorder and they weren't taking enough calories. Like you've never heard, oh, my friend Jim is in the hospital. Like he's struggling with protein deficiency. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. But we've been, we've been brainwashed to think that protein is just the end all be all nutrient and we should get it at all costs. And when you eat animal products, you're getting the protein, but you're, you're getting it in a terrible package because you're getting your protein, but you're also getting a nice side order of saturated fat and a nice side order of cholesterol. And, you know, the carnivore people will tell you that saturated fat and cholesterol is good, but the scientific consensus widely discredits that. Uh, it's just it's just not true. And, and you don't need a study to see what people are dying from, right? It's heart disease, it's cancer, it's, it's diabetes. And all of these things are correlated strongly with uh, a diet that's heavy in animal foods. So you, you have to do this research and you have to know what you're talking about. Um, I think Forks Over Knives is a phenomenal documentary. It's, it's rooted in science, right? So if you look at, at the documentary Forks Over Knives, it's, uh, it's the, the two main guys in it are you got T. Colin Campbell and you've got uh, Dr. Esselstein, who's a cardiologist at the, at the Cleveland Clinic. And T. Colin Campbell put together the largest epidemiology study ever, uh, a 20-year study over 65 countries in, uh, in rural China. And they, they were able to draw out that the mortality rates from cancer and chronic disease over this 20 years, that the countries that had the highest consumption of animal products were more likely to have higher death rates from these diseases. And the countries that ate almost no animal products had almost no rate of these chronic diseases. Um, so you really want to go and watch these things. And I'm not saying you should be a, a documentary guy like, oh, I saw this thing and now I believe this, but use it, D dive deeper into it. Um, there's another good one called uh, What the Health. There's another good one called The Game Changers. But you, you can find this, this information out there. But I would say for those people that are considering going vegan, you really need to arm yourself. And you also need to go deep inside yourself and start thinking about how much you care about what other people think. Right? So like initially it's awkward when you first start telling people you're going plant-based and you catch a lot of shit. But you, you really got to say to yourself, well, what do I stand for? Like Am I gonna am I gonna just eat meat because I want to look cool in front of my buddy Johnny when I'm at the bar, or do I have a principled stand on what I believe in? Um, and if it, and, and I would really encourage people to dive into the ethical side of that too, because once you make that connection, then it's a no brainer. You can't do it anymore. Um, but in terms of like practical things, the vegan food has gotten so good. I mean, even if you want to just slowly transition into vegan pizza, vegan burgers, there's beyond burgers, there's uh, phenomenal pizzas out there. Now you can do tacos. There's like mock ground beef and it's, it's all really good. Now it used to be terrible. Like six years ago, I was just eating like morning star hockey puck burgers, you know, and now it's like the food's actually getting really good. But if you really want to dial in the health, you go whole food plant-based, which means no processed uh, no oil and just, you know, fruits, vegetables, grains, uh, brown rice, beans, lentils in their, in their whole form as, you know, close to nature as possible. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. It's like, yeah, here, it's a different here in Detroit, journey for uh, yeah, here in Detroit, we got some, like, like some really good, like vegan, I guess, junk food type restaurants. Um, like one's called like street beat and they do, they do like, um, Kentucky fried, like chicken, like knockoffs where it's like, uh, um, fried tempeh or whatever. And they like recreate like different like taco hell and they recreate like Taco Bell, but like it's all plant-based nice. stuff. And then we have this other, like, then we have like this other one's called chili mustard onions. And it's like a vegan Coney Island. And it's, it's great. If you want some like vegan junk food, it's, it's, 
Yeah, really- I mean, the, the food's gotten way better. It's, it's so much easier. And I think that accessibility to those foods is a good thing. You know, there's a lot of controversy over, like, is the Impossible Whopper a good thing and Burger King from Burger King? And I think it is because people are transitioning, right? So you need to have that bridge there. Um, and I would just say to, to kind of go a little bit further on that question of, like, what do you do? I think you're going to have those debates with people on like you find yourself going down these rabbit holes talking about amino acid profiles and B12. And, but what I always go back to is scientific consensus. And you now have the world health organization and the Academy of nutrition and dietetics, right? And the Academy of nutrition and dietetics is over a hundred thousand credentialed practitioners that make up this, this group. And you have registered dietitians, clinicians, researchers, physicians, people with advanced degrees in the field, and the, a couple of years ago, they put out a study. And in the abstract, I can read it to you guys. Is that this is the scientific consensus of the largest body of credentialed practitioners in the area of health and nutrition. Here's, here's what they say. It is the position of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics that appropriately planned vegan diets are healthful, nutritionally adequate, and may provide health benefits for the prevention and treatment of certain diseases. These diets are appropriate for all stages of the life cycle, including pregnancy, lactation, infancy, childhood, adolescence, older adulthood, and for athletes. So that's all you have to say is that the the largest scientific organization, the scientific consensus in health and nutrition says that a vegan diet is healthy and may prevent diseases and I can do it for any area of life. So if that's the case, then what do you have? There's nothing else. So if it's healthy, and you can do it without any issues as an athlete, then what's the justification for eating animals? Like there, there really is none. I mean, there really is none. We can go down a million rabbit holes, but there's no justification for it. And it's better for the planet. It's better for the animals. We can get rid of pandemics. We can get rid of, uh, you know, the United States, we spend, tri- we spend more money on healthcare than we do for defense. It's, it's a massive number. Our healthcare costs are the GDP of other countries. And the alternative is, hey, let's just eat some plants. Like, let's have rice and beans. Let's have pasta with some broccoli and spices. And like, it's easy. It's really easy and it's healthy. And I think the more people know about that and they know that it's healthy and they know that it's easy, hopefully we can get some people to to come over. And I really don't want to make it like I'm preaching to anybody. I'm just passionate about it. And I know that if you do it, if you give it a try and you really give it a good effort, it will improve your life. I mean, I'd be curious for you guys, like, did it improve your lives? Do you, do you feel better? Is your athletic performance gone up? Like, I'm sure you've talked about it on the show before, but just to toss it back at you guys, like, what was your experience when you guys started to make the switch? I mean, for for me personally, like, I still like eat like meat and stuff like that once in a while here, here and there. Um, but like when I do eat meat or whatever, whether it's like, chicken wings or ground turkey like tacos or whatever i feel like more lethargic um and i feel like i don't i'm not as light i don't know if that's like the right way to describe it, but i feel i don't feel as light especially like when i go out on runs or whatever if i go out and do something i don't feel like um like my like i'm like reaching a true potential i feel like heavier i feel like not as like uh quick or doing things like I feel like everything is kind of like just like off like a hair. So for me, I've I've gone primarily okay. So 
so I've gone back and forth it, it, throughout most of my adult, most of my adult life, I would say I've been a vegetarian, um, but I've gone back and forth at times. And um, in, in a lot of it is truthfully like self-experimenting to see if I could find what the best performance was for me. And I found, um, and I've said this several times in the podcast that, uh, you know, now I've adopted a, a a full-on plant-based diet from what was probably before a very plant-forward uh, vegetarian diet. And um, I will say that, you know, like I say, my recovery is improved tenfold. Like, I mean, it's Saturday. I've run uh, over 70 miles week to date. Uh, you know, I feel like a million dollars. Like, I feel great. Um, you know, I lost just in the last uh, – last couple of weeks, I've lost nine pounds, uh, 10, almost 10 pounds now. And, um, part of it's a product of just ramping up training, but part of it's a product of really cleaning up, uh, and not eating like any, uh, vegan junk foods and oil laden foods. Um, I think there are numerous benefits to it. And, um, I'll, I'll say first, you know, we brought you on to share your, your perspective with people uh, who may be interested, obviously the intention um, for all of us here was very clear. It's not to try to convert anybody to, to do anything they don't want to do, but if, if it's something that's interesting or maybe just to get people to think in an alternative, uh, fashion. So, you know, grateful that you were able to do that. But in terms of my own performance, a hundred percent, I think protein is not having enough protein or whatever it is, is absolute uh, myth. Like I'll excuse my language, what I'm about to say, I'm going to say a word that I don't really like to say, but, um, you know, like a Thanksgiving or something like that, like my cousin, uh, who's, uh, we'll say a wannabe macho man. Uh, like he called me a pussy or something cause I don't eat meat <laughs> or whatever it is. And you're always going to have that type of stuff in your family, um, and your friends and stuff like that. That's okay. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're strong in your convictions of what you believe in, like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I can put on as much muscle as I want to. Um, I'm by no means, uh, like a skinny frail runner. Um, and, I'm not missing protein anywhere. I don't even look at my protein content. I imagine it's somewhere around 80 to 110 grams, just based on maybe up to 120 based on just the raw amount of food that I eat. Um, but it's by no mean like my diet isn't the way I, the way I eat isn't, isn't protein focused or protein forward. It's not intentional by any means. Yeah. I think the protein thing is the biggest misnomer out there. Um, I forget what the recommendation is, but I think for a, for a normal adult male, it's like 66 grams or something like that. And for, yeah. for women, I think it's in the forties. It's, it's, and if you, you could literally eat pasta and rice all day and get really close to that number, if not hit it, if you're eating sufficient calories, it's crazy. Yeah. You could eat 2000 calories with a broccoli. I wouldn't suggest it because it'd probably wreak havoc on your stomach, but you could eat 2000 <laughs> calories of broccoli theoretically and get 10% of your daily value of protein um, or 10% of what, of your calories from protein, which is the, uh, RDA for that. Um, but no, and, and athletes, it's clear, there's clear signs that you likely need more protein than obviously the non-athletes. I think for endurance athletes, it's about 1.6 grams per kilogram. So without even trying, I fall into that, into that category without even trying. So I don't think that if pro if protein is an apprehension for anybody, I don't think it's a substantial apprehension truthfully. And I mean, you can look at me, I'm, I'm proof of it. Like I said, most of my adult life, I've, I've, I've been a vegetarian of some form and now I've really focused on, on, on more true whole food plant-based and I feel amazing. Yeah. When I first moved back from North Carolina, I moved back in with my parents for a while and that's when I was like, you know, just vegetarian, but I was like, you know, alternating a plant-based diet and, um, 
you know, my, my parents or my, my dad specifically, he's like really big into like routines and he's set in his ways and he's had like a triple bypass before. And, um, I've gotten them to do like, you know, vegan or vegetarian days, like once or twice a week. And I still, after moving out after like, you know, almost two years later, I think they're still kind of doing that, which is fucking fantastic. Even though, even though they'll still like, it's just like, like the little things. Yeah. I think Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that, I think that's great. It's uh, that's that's something that's really sustainable for all people. I mean, Leo, who's a who's a really close friend of Brittany, he's a friend of mine, um, and somebody who listens to the podcast like religiously. He was listening to the podcast, and his wife overheard it, and she said, "Wow, they made a lot of sense. Like maybe we should try." So they went to the they went to the store, and they did a whole like vegetarian day. It was really cool uh, to see. And Leo sent me pictures and uh, said he was farting more. And I said, "Hey." That's- <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing but um pat let me ask you with with, with heart disease as a as a um maybe a genetic factor in your family do, does that influence your decision at all around around nutrition specifically like a plant-based or plant-forward vegetarian type diet oh yeah definitely like um heart disease like is is pretty rampant in my on my dad's side of the family like my uncle's had a bypass uh, my dad has a triple bypass. I'm not too sure, like my my uh, my judge, uh, my grandpa. I'm not because he died like before I kind of really got to know him uh, when I was like really young. I'm not sure if that was from like you know heart disease or whatever. But yeah, it's pretty pretty prevalent in my dad's side family. So yeah, I make make a lot of conscious decisions to do things vegetarian or plant based to kind of not have a fucking heart surgery or yeah. a heart attack. So for so for me on. on in regards to the plant-based um, aspect of it, like obviously the animal compassion, my, uh, my wife, Brittany is huge in terms of animal, animal compassion and it's, it's her thing and she won't consume an animal product. And that's kind of rubbed off on me and made me realize like, yeah, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kill my dog and eat it. I love Mason more than, uh, you know, more than most humans. I, I wouldn't, um, you know, I, I just couldn't do this. Like if I had to kill the animal, I wouldn't do it. So, so I decided that, Hey, it's not for me. And my job in life is not to cause suffering. Um, from a performance standpoint, I see the, I, I recover so much faster and it could be due to, uh, more anti-inflammatory, uh, antioxidant properties in the foods that I'm consuming. And that might just be from more vegetables in general, not so much cutting out meat. Um, but either way it's working. And then the, the final, the, the final, I guess, aspect of it is I've been really fortunate, um, you know, like my, my great grandparents um, died when I was when I was 20. My great great grandmother died when I was like 16. So I got to spend time with them um, and have a really strong relationship with them, even through college or through most of college. And um, I, I see like that they were very healthy and I and I saw the way that they cooked. And while they did consume meat, it wasn't a lot. And um they were, they, they really made a lot of the recipes. They didn't go out to eat a lot. Um, and they lived a long time and they lived really healthy lives for the most part until the very end, free of chronic disease and things like that. And it's, I want to be able to have the same thing with my grandkids and my great grandkids and my great, great grandkids. I feel very fortunate that I got to spend that time with them. And, um, I hope to live a really long, healthy life. And frankly, I just don't want to die. So uh, the longer I can live, the better. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about longevity, there's uh, there's a great book and a study uh, called The Blue Zones, 
and they basically looked at, I think it was six groups of people that had the highest concentration of centenarians, people that lived to be above a hundred years old. So they're all over the world. So there's nothing necessarily environmental saying, well, it's just this region has this one specific thing. So they have them in, in, in essentially all, you know, a lot of the different countries. So what they found were some of the, the, the uh, common threads where one of them was a predominantly plant-based diet, typically whole foods, plant-based. Some of them ate a little bit of meat, but it would have been like three to 5% of, of total calories. Um, the oak. Yeah. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't like, there was, a, lot there was a bit of too. seafood, but I think what they found was the seafood still made up a pretty small percentage of, of total cows. Um, I want to say it was, I want to say it was 90 or 95% plant-based where they would use the seafood almost like seasoning, you know, kind of like they would do in like rural Asia. Um, and then they had some other components, like they moved yeah. a lot, like low uh, steady state cardio, you know, where they were constantly like walking and farming. And then there were some community based aspects to it as well, but it's, it's yeah. really interesting. And if you look at just the anatomy of uh, a human being, you know, if you com as compared to like uh, an omnivore, like a dog, right? So if you look at like a dog or, or a lion, their digestive tract is about three times their torso. Ours is all herbivores, I should say, including us, we're included in this, is about six to 10 times our torso. The reason that the, the dog and the lion has a shorter intestinal tract is because it needs to be able to push that meat out quickly. Meat does not do well when it sits in your intestine for long periods of time, right? So the other things that they have are a, uh, a hinged jaw, right? Their jaws go up and down, rip and swallow teeth where if you look at humans, we're more like a cow. We've got flat molars, side to side chewing motion. We don't have sharp claws. We're not fast. We're not strong compared to the, 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 herb, the uh, omnivores and carnivores out there. So if you look at the anatomy of a human being, and I always think it's hilarious when people say, well, we've got these canines and it's like, what those little tiny two points in your mouth. Like, what are you going to do with those? Like, what are you, what are you going to do? You're not going to do anything. With those. And there's other herbivores like, uh, like hippos and, you know, the great, like great apes, primates who are 99% herbivore also have those teeth. So it's more like a defense thing. But, uh, you know, I just think there's so many things that line up with, with plant-based diets for longevity, for performance, for ethics, for the, for the health of the planet, you know, that, uh, methane from these, Methane from these factory farms contribute more to total greenhouse gas than all of our transportation combined. So, I mean, you take all the pollution from and greenhouse gas from, from planes, trains, cars, it doesn't even, it's not even close to the, the amount of damage we're doing from these factory farms, not to mention all their waste runoff and that we're, we're, you know, we're spraying this in uh, like low income communities. And, Man, there's just, I get excited about it because there's so much that goes right when you switch over to plant-based. You're part of like this collective good that you're doing on the planet. And I uh, apologize for the tangent, but I just, I just think there's so much good that comes out of this diet. It's crazy. No, I think that uh, your, your excitement and, and, and enthusiasm for it is palpable. Um, and that's a really good quality to have. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that was a really good look at the, uh, at the viewpoint there. I know Pat's got to jump off since so this might be a good place to wrap it up for now. Um, but honestly, there's, I think I, I wanted to get you on here and, um, I, I'm, I'm so excited. We were able to able to get you on because you know, you're, you're a good friend of mine. Um, I appreciate all the conversations we have, but I appreciate that you've been able to share this, this, uh, 
this viewpoint and, and maybe make, you know, maybe might inspire others to make maybe a little, a, f- a few changes, maybe not a wholesale change, maybe though, but maybe just a few changes and, and that could be enough. But anytime we can get some thought provoking conversation, I think it's a positive thing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I love your guys show. It's an, an honor to be on. If, if anybody has questions about veganism or like, you know, Hey, what do you do for this? What do you do for protein? Like, how did you substitute this? Feel free to, uh, to hit me up. I'm obviously excited about it. Happy to help any way I can. But thanks for the opportunity, yeah. fellas. I appreciate it for sure. Yeah. Where, so where can everybody find you at if they want to get in touch? Instagram is probably the best way. It's just at Flytrap Coalition on Instagram. Um, I always reply to direct messages. Happy to have to have a call. Uh, do whatever I can to uh, to help out if anybody's interested. I'm, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I think. Go ahead, Pat. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so it's available. It's Flytrap Coalition podcast. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast. I think it's on like six or seven of the the major platforms. So uh, yeah, Flytrap Coalition podcast. It's uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So definitely appreciate anybody that would uh, would tune in and give it a shot. Yeah, he's had some great guests on in the past. Um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but he's had Mark Bonhorn on the podcast. So. Twice. Something, twice, yes, <laughs> yes. A new episode coming out that I'm actually able to be on. So that's it's always so much fun to be able to join your podcast because I'm a big fan of it. Um, you know, and and just want to say, do you have any before we let you go here? Do you have any races coming up or or anything planned right now? Because I know it's hard, but anything for the fall? I don't have anything that I'm signed up for, but I'm definitely going to be signing up for something for uh, for fall winter. Um, and I may even just try to do a big effort on my own once this, once the dust settles from all this COVID stuff, I may just plan a, uh, plan a long run on my own. That's not sanctioned and just, uh, just get after it. My long-term goal, what I would love to do, man, I don't know if you guys follow it, but the, uh, the trans America bike race is one that is like my long-term goal. I, uh, I got, I got a chance to link up with the guy that, that won it last year. Abdullah Zinab set the record. He's a, a friend of mine. I, I met up with him when he was coming through Missouri and I was so inspired by, uh, you know, just what he was going through. He was setting this crazy pace cycling like 20 hours a day. I think he was on like day eight when I saw him and he ended up being out there 16 days. And, uh, I saw that and I was like, shit, man, I, I might need to give that a try at some point. He's a badass podcast guest too. If you ever want somebody to, to come on and he'll tell you his story. He's, He's awesome. But that would be like a long-term goal. But to answer your, your, uh, your question, I don't have anything on the docket, but uh, hopefully we'll get something going soon. Well, cool. You're talking to the right guy with the Transamerica uh, bike race. Pat's got his own, his own uh, goals in terms of that. So, uh, no kidding. Right, what cool. are you, what so are you, what I, are you yeah, doing, definitely. Pat? Sorry to, to cut you off. I'm just curious. No, uh, no um, I'm, a, I'm, like, I'm allowed to do like a, like a three-month sabbatical for work. Um, so I was going to do that and just, um, ride my bike from oh, here awesome. out to California. Cool. Well, I think the trans right, well, cool. in June. I... Yeah. In June. Yeah. Yeah. June, some time maybe June of 2021. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, well, thanks again, Brian. Thanks for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I learned so much just in this podcast alone from here, from hearing you speak, you have a, you have a true talent and, um, I hope everybody tunes into your podcast. I know that I do, and uh, we'll be talking soon. But until next time, everybody, stay strong. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. As always, if this episode brought you value, um, please like, share, subscribe, 
rate us on iTunes, share us on Instagram, tell the world about us. Thanks again, and stay strong.